Father, we just thank you for being with us all week. We thank you for bringing the Holy Spirit to rest in these meetings. We pray for the meetings that are going on right now and for the Sabbath that's about to begin tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you've been with us, that we've had a pretty safe week. We've had a gracious week. We've had mercy from you. We've had forgiveness and that you want to bless our hearts so that we can go away inspired. And I just pray, Lord, that you will be with us as we talk today in your holy name. Amen. Well, here's a letter from someone. My co-worker sits next to me in the office and he eats fast food at least two times a day. He refuses to eat his food anywhere but at his desk. And he will shovel ten fries into his mouth at the same time and just continue to chomp on them incessantly. He talks with his mouth full in front of customers and, and while he's on the phone. He chews so loudly I can even hear him when my door is closed. He slurps his large drink like someone is about to steal it from him, and worst of all, he sucks harder when it's all gone, making loud, gargling noises. I've dealt for it so long, I don't even think I ever have a taste for any fast food ever again. Here's another one, another letter. My friend has the worst manners. When we go somewhere with friends, she ignores everyone and she's quiet like she's feeling angry. She doesn't try to engage with anyone. She gets on her phone and plays games right in the middle of our conversations. And then when people are talking and they're in the middle of a story, she starts to say, what? What happened? When? When did that happen? And we have to re-explain it to her all over again. Like we're supposed to always be on it for her. I don't want to be around her anymore, and I've been not wanting to invite her to places anymore. Do manners matter? Really? Why do manners matter? Because we are representing Jesus to people, right? And when we are representing Jesus, we do not want to offend we want to smooth things so that we have the opportunity to tell them things without having them be irritated at us. Each country in every society has some type of manner. Have you ever discovered it? How many of you have traveled internationally? Like in Korea, you don't shake the right hand. Do you know about that? Because their left hand is used for dirty things. And, and you burp at a meal in Japan, but you certainly wouldn't do that here in the United States, right? And if you don't practice good manners, you irritate people, and so they aren't as open to what you're having to say. Part of being properly socialized in that culture is to learn how to eat properly and do certain things, your conversation, what you wear, etc., because otherwise, if you offend them, you've lost what? Your influence. It can be very important for missionaries, diplomats, foreigners to learn what's going on in certain countries because otherwise they lose their influence. And it's important to be able to reach over across the cultural lines to make an influence on them for Jesus. The Bible gives some solid guidelines about practicing etiquette and social skills, and it exemplifies Christ because remember Christ came here to our earth and did he follow some of the customs? The ones that were appropriate? He did. The basic standard for Christian, um, Christian education, I'm sorry, Christian behavior is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, do whatever, or whatever you do, do all for the what? 
so that's our number one consideration. And then our number two is not to offend. Our goal is to honor the Lord in every way so that we can have that influence. If we are rude, our influence is impacted and we are dishonoring God. Good etiquette is important so that, you know, we can um, create a connection with people. Paul traveled across many cultures. Remember all the cities and churches that he went to? And he wrote, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. So it shows that he tried to be sensitive to what it was that people wanted him to do. But the first thing is that we honor God And sometimes we can't always follow every cultural norm, but it's very important to know that. By the way, I was down in the office um, just doing copies, and um, some of you had wanted copies from the first day, and I have them up here on the bench on the left-hand side, and that's about 20 of them for the people who didn't get them the first day. The second pile are the ones that you got for Tuesday, and I have lots of those left over because I got more of them done. But while I was there, off the copy machine came this, golf cart etiquette. I thought, wow, how appropriate. And every golf cart person has to sign that they read the rules. Now, we all know they're not obeying the rules. Would you agree? (laughs) No carts in the um, trailer area, not going between trailers. Always look when you approach the stop area, yes. Make sure that you never pass up the tram. There's all kinds of things. But there are rules that govern our, our, our life, isn't there? How many of you have been to an academy? There are any rules there? Yeah. And there's that idiom, when you're in Rome, do what? Yeah. Do as the Romans do. Slurping soup is appropriate in some of the cultures, right? How, how much did that person appreciate that person at the desk that was slurping their drink? Not too much, right? So we have to be very careful. Firm grips in America may translate as aggression in the Middle East. Did you know that? They're also accustomed to hugs and kisses. They don't do handshakes most of the time. You have to really learn that. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Something about gentleness and respect. There's all kinds of things that they say. But bad manners and poor etiquette is a distraction to the message we bear. Etiquette is not just about fussy rules laid down by some people. It reduces the friction of interpersonal relationships. Some of you know what it's like to be around a foreign person that doesn't have certain rules and guidelines. I got a big kick out of my son, Carlo. He um, brought somebody over from another country to be his pianist when they were going to work on a CD. Now, Carlo, my adopted son, is from Haiti, and he was bringing this other friend from the Caribbean, and he told me, I I laid down laws with him, mother, since he's going to stay in our house. I said, really, what kind of laws did you... I told him, don't you be going around naked. I'm like, well, thank you. He said, no, I mean, you know, without a shirt. I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, and I told him, make your bed every day. I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, and I told him, I told him to make sure that he chewed with his mouth closed. I'm like, wow. And I said, and how did you know that those are, oh, mother, I, I just know because I've been around here. I'm like, oh, okay. But I got a kick out of it. And this man seemed so fearful when he was at my house. And, and one day, Carlo was so frustrated, and it was because the man was making his bed, and he took about 30 minutes to make the bed and get the pillows just right. 
but I think it's because he put all these rules on him. And I felt bad for the man. I didn't want to undo what Carlo did, but I just got a big kick out of it. And he evidently, you know, we really had a good time with this man, but, um, you know, Carlo had laid down the rules for him. So, and he said, and, oh, and he said, and, and he also told him, and don't hug and kiss my mother because my dad will not like it. <laughs> So when he came in, he went, ha, and then he went, like, this. nice to meet you. I got a big kick out of that. Every time you talk to a stranger, you make an impression. It can be good or bad, right? What could we give a bad impression of when we are talking to a stranger? Can you think of things? No eye contact. So you almost think that you are, um, like, cagey and avoiding something. Actually... I get to, you know, I call them the suits. When I work in the conference office and I get to sit at the table with all the ministers and I'm the only one in a dress and there's this oblong table and all I see is their knees, pretty much. So I call Royce and he says, you need to come meet with the suits or something. And we were interviewing a pastor who's actually a wonderful pastor in our conference. And I said... You know, he had the right answers, and I felt really uncomfortable, though, because he never looked us in the eye. And, you know, I even asked him if he wanted to eat lunch, and he wouldn't look me in the eye, and I thought, what is he afraid of? My husband said, well, I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm like, oh, you know how you just say something private, and now they're going to talk about it. And um, I think I could use his name. Moise Ratsara. He said, Mrs. Snayman, I apologize for not looking you in the eye. He said, you know, I'm from Madagascar, and in my country, if you look somebody in the eye, it means you're devious or you're out to get them or you're aggressive. And he said, even my mother, when she was punishing me, she'd say, look me in the eye. And he said, and if I looked into her in the eye, she'd say, stop looking me in the eye. And he said, I didn't know ever what to do. And he said, and because you're a female, I just didn't want to look you in the eye because I didn't want any disrespect. And he's so sweet. We love him. And he looks you in the eye now. But it's something he had to work on, right? And, of course, I had the wrong feeling. And he was just as pure and sweet as could be. And I misjudged him because of a cultural issue. When you talk to somebody, well, when you look around here, are there people you know? Just think, they've all been strangers at one time. And you talk to them, and you were out of your comfort level, and then you learn something, and you built a link from them to a yes. And then the more you talk to them, the link gets stronger. Isn't that amazing? How many of you have met some new people up here this week? And did you enjoy your involvement with them? You know, every day, God gives us an opportunity to talk to people. Might be the tram person up here. Could be the person who serves you at the canteen or the cafeteria. It could be the people that walk down the sidewalk. I asked somebody if I could say this. They came up yesterday at the end of my meeting, and they said, uh, I find this camp meeting to be rather unfriendly. And I said, I'm really sorry to hear that, especially after we just talked about empathy yesterday. And she said, yes, when I walk down the sidewalk, I notice that a lot of people are looking down and they don't greet me or else they're on their phone and I never have them say hello. Well, let me ask you, what is appropriate when you're walking towards somebody to do? Do you know? We should always look for their eye and we should always greet them, right? 
You don't even have to say hello. You can go hello or nod your head because you acknowledge people. Isn't that the appropriate way to do? Actually, our teens are having a lot of problems with their communication skills because they have that dull look. They don't want to look emotional, like nothing bothers them. Have you noticed that? That doesn't fly when it comes to emotional intelligence. They say that people should be able to read us, and if we're having a bad time or whatever, we should say to them, I know I'm not talking right now, but I want you to know that I'm just having a bad time or whatever, and it's not about you, it's about me. I'm just trying to get over something. We should let people know how we're doing. And it's very difficult to be in relationships with people that you can't read. That is an emotionally intelligent thing where we need to work on how we emotionally affect people. Each conversation gives us someone's perspective, a new opinion to consider, new information to process, and it also helps us to learn about relating to people. Conversations can be antagonistic. You can say, you know, to the tram driver, well, it's about time. Or you can say, thank you for my ride. Or you could say, you should have taken the bumps a little better. Or you could say, watch out that you don't miss anybody, right? And, and that they don't fall off when you go over the It's so much different the way that you package things. Are you willing to take a risk and talk to strangers? Because I have encouraged you to do that several times throughout this session, and I hope that you'll continue to do that. We have really so little time to engage strangers. My husband tells a story that I love, and it was about a soldier that was coming home from the war. His, um, he was excited to get home. It was a very snowy night. He had stopped at a diner to eat. He didn't have a ride, and no one really would give him a ride, and he started to walk along the road, and there was a limousine that stopped. And he thought, well, that's kind of weird. And there was a man that wasn't dressed like a limo driver. He was driving the limousine. And uh, he got into the limo, and the guy said, where do you need to go? And he said, actually, I need to go to Chicago. And the guy said, well, I'll drive you to Chicago, not a problem. He said, it's not really that far from here. And uh, all the way they were talking, and this man kept thinking, you know, I probably should share Jesus with him, but I don't know, you know, maybe he'll drop me off. It's a really cold night. I don't want to walk in, in this really desolate area that I'm in. And so he said that he just kept praying that the Lord would give him the confidence. And finally, he decided to share with this man Jesus. And he asked him, you know, he said, Jesus has been so special to me. And he got me through this war and he helped me um, stay safe and and, you know, I, I, I prayed with people that were dying, and I, it was a great opportunity. But I wonder if you yourself have ever given your heart to the Lord. And the man pulled the limousine over, and he thought, here we go. And then the man put his head on the steering wheel, and he started to sob. And he sobbed. And then he said, you know, I've been thinking about doing that for a long time, and I guess... Tonight's the night, and I, I want to give my heart to the Lord. So he prayed with him, and the man continued to drive, and he dropped him off at his house in Chicago. He found out that the man's limo driver had taken sick, and so he just decided to drive himself home. And when, he, when the man took him to his house, 
he gave him a card, like a business card, and he said, if you're ever in the Hancock Building in Chicago, won't you, I believe it was the Hancock Building, um, won't you um, come up and visit me because we've really had a good talk and I've really enjoyed visiting with you. And so he said, yeah, I'd love to do that sometime. But you know how things go. He got married, and he had a child, then he had another child, and then he had to go to business, on business to Chicago, and so he found that building, and he decided to go up to the building, and he, was, um, he went up a long elevator. They said he was on the top floor in a, like a penthouse suite. They, some, well, the person who looked at the card said, oh, okay, you just go on up. So he went up, and it actually opened into the suite. And there was a woman at the desk, and he said, yeah, I'm looking for this man. And she looked at him, and her eyes were really big, and she said, she said, you looked, you're looking for who? And he said, you know, I'm looking for this man. And she said, just a minute. And she, she went into another room, and she looked like she'd been crying, and she came back in, and she said, could you tell me how you got his card? And he said, well... He said, I was coming home from the war. He actually knew the very date that he got released from the Army, he knew when he was there. And he said, um, I was driving home with him. Is he not here? And she said, no, he truly isn't here. Actually, he died. He was killed in an automobile accident. She said, what date was that that you, you actually were meeting with him? And he said, you know, the date. And she said, that is exactly the date that he was killed. It was a terrible snowstorm that night, and he was driving his limo, and he was killed. And she, he said, well, I want to tell you that I sat with your husband, and he gave his heart to the Lord that night, and she started to put her head down on the desk, and she started to sob. And she said, I've been really angry for a lot of years, and I've stopped going to church because I prayed for my husband to become a Christian for many, many years. And I didn't know that he ever gave his heart, and I always have been angry at God that he allowed him to be killed in the accident before he gave his heart to the Lord. That, to me, is such a refreshing and sweet story. I don't have all the details, but to me, we don't know who it is that we're impressing or impacting when we ask them. And as Carlo, my son, my adopted son, says, what's the big deal? Somebody could reject you? Is that all they can do? When you ask, we need to be asking no matter what because we don't know what's happening the minute later to us or to them, right? We want to um, and teach our children also to be proper and etiquette and to think about cultural considerations. We need to teach them because they will get farther in life. Somebody was telling me about their girlfriend. They went to a rehearsal dinner at a wedding and their girlfriend just blurted out in front of everybody asking a very personal question of the bride and embarrassing her. And he said, you know, I think that was the culmination of what's been going on in our life, that she never seems to have the right words to say at the right time. She seems to be never taught, and I just decided that I'm not going to have her embarrass me for the rest of my life. So you have to re realize that actually the way we act with people and what we say when we're in our amygdala can be very hurtful and discouraging to many people. You know those mindless, annoying questions, by the way, don't you? I went to a seminar. I think it was a group from um, ASI, and they asked me to come in and talk to the teens on dating. 
And so we talked, and we had a great time. I really enjoyed being with them. And then one of them came up to me and said, you know, one boy, he said, you know, I'm really, really tall. And I said, huh? He said, I go to church, and he said, do you know how many people tell me I'm tall? Oh, you're tall. My, are you tall? Oh, you must be able to see over everybody's head. And he said, you know, after a while, it gets really, really old. And he said, I get really tired of that. And this girl said, well, I gained a lot of weight this last summer, and people started telling me that, like, oh, boy, it looks like you've been having a great summer or something. And she said, it just really hurts me. And one woman said, when I go to church, people ask me all the time, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girl? You know, they ask, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? She said, if I had a boyfriend, I wouldn't hide him in a box. And she said, you know, people ask a lot of things. She said, I brought a married friend to church, and they asked her, are you married? Are you married? And so she said, yes. And then she said, she joined the church, and then they were asking her over and over, are you going to have a baby? Are you going to have a baby? And then they asked her, are you going to have another baby? <laughs> and I'm just like, we need to think about the questions that we ask and how discouraging they are to our young people we want to encourage them. We don't want to discourage them. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard those questions? It's very, very important. So I don't have a whiteboard because they changed my room. And I'm going to ask you, um, and I'm going to repeat it. When you have social skills and you are meeting a person, well, let me see. I have two ladies that are going to be meeting for the first time. So they're going to do this little role play. So let me say, I, um, I was at the ad administration building, and I left my Bible. That's our, that's our little play here. And I've asked my friend to meet my other friend, who she's never met, at the administration building. And so they're walking towards each other, and let's see how it goes. Nope, you don't need to go yet. Are you the one that I'm supposed to meet? Yes, I think so. Oh, hi, I'm Nancy. Hi. I'm Cheryl. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Here's the Bible that Lori needed. Thank you so much. That was so thoughtful of you. So, okay, what did they do right? Which they did a lot of things right. What did they do? They smiled. They had eye contact. They introduced each other. That's a really good thing. They were friendly. Oh, yes, they shook hands, okay. And um, did you see anything else in the etiquette line? They were appreciative and they thanked each other. Okay, now we're going to do it, but you have a third person with you. Okay. So oh, now... Oh, do you need this back? Or, no. no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I'm blinded by the light here. I don't even see where you are here. Okay, so now there's a third party, and she's coming to get that Bible. Oh, that's right, she's coming to get the Bible. It really was a Bible. I didn't mean to drop it so bad. Okay, so she's coming to get the Bible from somebody. And now they have a third party. Let's see what they do. So is it the same scenario? Yep, same scenario, oh, okay. only you have an extra person there. And so let's uh -oh. see what you do. Are you the person that has the Bible for Lori? Um, yes, but I wasn't sure who I was supposed to bring it to. Oh, I, I'm Nancy, and I, I'm a good friend of Lori's. Well, my name is Helen, and this is my friend Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl, nice to meet you. So nice to meet you, too. And Helen, nice to meet you. Yes. I think I shook your hand already, but that's okay. Yes, give that to Lori. 
I sure will. Thank you. Sure. See you later. All right. Thank you. You can go back to your seat. Okay. Now, um, so they had a third person. What was it that was important that they did? They introduced her, right? They shouldn't leave somebody hanging, right? Have you ever seen somebody hanging and they don't know what to do? And they don't know who you are and, and they're like, because until you meet somebody, you don't feel like you have the right to talk to them, correct? So very nice. And again, etiquette, introductions, looking into, the, um, looking into each other's eyes and being kind. All right, so let's say that you're meeting a stranger for the first time. Uh, let's say you're at the meetings and the program's over and you're still seated because you're waiting to get out of the row and you glance over and there's the other person. What would be a nice thing to do? Smile. That would be nice, right? Now, does anybody get suspicious when someone smiles at them and thinks that somebody's up to something? There are people out there, but most times a smile is very appreciated. Anything else? Introduce yourself, because you don't know who she is, and you don't know if they are visiting the campground. What else? Can you ask them a question? What could you ask? Did you enjoy the meeting? So something pertinent to what you're doing right at that moment, right? Not what is your social security number <laughs> or, you know, what is your shoe size? That wouldn't be appropriate, but something pertinent to the meeting. Anything else that you might say? What church are you from? Isn't that nice? Because you might find out that they're not from any church or that they need an invitation to a church. So small talk, that's small talk. Now, there are people who say, don't do small talk. You should get right into your conversation and find something that you have in common. Hmm. Because things, when you have something in common with someone, then you're much more drawn and that link is much tighter. So let's just look at what they tell us are good social skills. Looking in the eyes, you did good. Listening, smiling, body not stiff. Have you ever had somebody come up and go, hello? Right? hands, you want to shake them comfortably. Oh, have you ever had someone shake your hand too hard? That's a concern, isn't it? Actually can hurt people, especially. But you also, what does it say to you when somebody shakes your hand very loosely and very disinterestedly? Yeah. So that's an issue. Should we be our best? Clean? Appropriate? Well, you know, dressed appropriate? Yes. All right. Here's some more. Um, Polite, puts other people at ease, able to express feelings, responds to feelings, able to start a conversation, engage in small talk. Here's what, the, what we're told in the Bible. Could you read that with me? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Does that mean that everybody out there is going to be friendly? He's sending us out there in the sheep, but there are wolves out there. Somebody could misinterpret or do something wrong, but we are still to be wise. Where do we get our wisdom from? God. And we're supposed to be innocent as doves, so we need to be kind and expect people to be friendly, and we expect them to have, you know, be friendly back. So we don't want to be fearful. It's all about us when we're being fearful. Here's some more social skills. Speaking calmly. You've ever had somebody talk too loud to you and you went, whoa, right? Or um, not waiting patiently to talk. That's a hard one for me. I see listenings in there twice, so I guess I need, that's because I need to be reminded. Optimistic, not pessimistic. You don't go and say, you know, 
the world is a mess and I don't know if we're all going to live through it. That's not a good thing to say to people. You say, wow, there's a lot of things going on. I, you know, I'm so glad that you know, we're getting ready for the second coming, right? The way you package something. So what they've learned is that low emotional intelligent people have poor social skills. You can't read them. They're impatient. They're poor listeners. And high emotional intelligence are what we just were talking about. So here's where they did some comparisons. And I could have gone on with pages of this. But let's read uh, social skills when speaking. If you're high emotional intelligence, it's no interrupting versus interrupting. The high emotional intelligent person, instead of saying, do this, get this done, whatever, they say, I feel, or, you know, whatever. Where The other one is always accusatory, says, you always, you always do that, right? Actually, watch out in personal relationships. Those words, always, should, have to, um, must, are often to get us anxious, and so it'll be a, um, not a positive thing in a, in a conversation. Uses information to understand, and many times maybe a person would use information to manipulate or judge somebody. There's also people who went, there are also people when they share something of vulnerability, there are people who will save that and keep bringing it up and reminding them of their problems. So it's a manipulation. So there are some people who are safe listeners and people who are poor, you know, that are um, unsafe listeners. Uses effective listening techniques, where the poor listener might be on technology, I'm sorry, on technology, or they may not be listening, or they're looking elsewhere. Here's another thing. This is where they keep talking. Some of the new things about when we talk to people, they say, skip the small talk. I don't know. Sometimes I understand this is what they're telling you to do, but I think that sometimes we're not ready to do big talk with people. Is, how many of you feel that way? So we kind of would rather talk about the weather till we get the feel for that person before we share something. Somebody was sharing about they were in a taxi cab and, and the taxi cab driver um, was, was not being all that friendly and they said, you know, you seem to have an accent, you know, I'm from, and they, so they shared, they said, you know, I'm from this other country and the taxi cab driver said, well, so am I. And by the time they were done with the taxi ride, he wanted to introduce them to his, his son and thought she'd make a great wife for him. Pakistan, and uh, she said, isn't that amazing just because I decided to talk to somebody? So we have the ability to interface when we take time. One time, my husband and I, we were in Paris. We were on a double-decker bus, and we were, you know, not talking to anyone on the bus, but my husband is quite the, you know, he's really an introvert, but he wanted to be a good witness. So when we got hit at the Arc of de Triumph, whatever, by another bus, and we got stopped, and we were making a police report, and we're just sitting there on the bus, and it's hot, and I'm tired. I have my head down. My daughter's got her head on me, and my husband's, like, working the, the bus. So where are you from? So where are you from? Well, that day, I had said to my daughter, I know you're really bored with all of these buildings, but I had this history teacher. He was an amazing guy. His name was Mr. Sedgwick, and uh, he could tell you all the history and who was married to who, and I just wish that he was here someday because I think that he would really make everything really work here. And so my husband said, where are you from? And he said, well, you know, we're from the United States, but we're visiting our daughter in England. I said, Mr. Sedgwick? And he said, well, yes, I am. How do you know? And I said, you're my teacher at Southfield in the Detroit area. 
in the, in, the, in the late 60s. And he said, well, yes, I was. What's your name? And I said, well, I told him my maiden name. Yeah, your father sold me a car and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and your uncle sold me property in Jellicoe, Tennessee. And, you know, then all of a sudden our video camera was, instead of saying, here's the Eiffel Tower, you can hear him saying, and what happened to Danny McGee? And what happened to Becky Hogue? And what happened to, and it was just all these things. Because we had taken the time to talk. I think we would have never known that he was on the bus with us. And actually, now we see him when we visit Florida, and it's just, we, we become good friends again. It's just amazing, but God wants to bring people to us if we're willing to do the work. Here's another thing. When you're in evangelism, they talk about ways to get to know people by using fort. And fort is family, occupation, where your residence is, and your testimony about how you came to Christ. And that opens up conversations so that you can ask people if you want to pray, if you can pray for them or if you can start a Bible study with them. So know that these are all good social skills because we are supposed to do what? According to Matthew 22, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what about meals? When we are eating in somebody's house, how do we conduct ourselves? And you may say, oh, we already know these things. Well, I'm reviewing them anyway. Because we um, have issues when it comes to potlucks and it comes to people's homes. And I've heard lots of nightmares about some of the things that go on. So how are we supposed to act? When we are in somebody's home, what's appropriate to do? You take your shoes off at the door? I always ask if I need to take my shoes off. but. I think that's a really appropriate thing because there are people who really that's very important to them. Anything else? Do things their way. way. Yes, so you might want to ask, would you like me to help in your kitchen or would you like me to sit here on the couch and entertain the guests? What would you like to do? How about when we're at the table? Appreciate what's being served and say something nice about the meal. Or even if it's um, something you absolutely hate, you should thank them for making the meal and taking the time. Actually, I heard a terrible story from somebody recently in Michigan that brought somebody home, and the person went on and on because they had eggplant, and evidently they hated eggplant. And they told four stories about when somebody almost killed them with eggplant because they hated it so much. And, of course, the main course had eggplant in it, and she said, after hearing it for so long, she said, fine. She th thought she'd add some humor to it. She took a piece of paper off the desk. She take, took a pen, and she wrote, okay, if I invite you again, don't serve eggplant. Got that now. Can we change the subject? And they went back and told another story about eggplant. So they did not get it. We want to be appreciative of what people do. When they're trying to have you over, it is really gracious that they're sharing their food and their house with you, right? We don't need to think that our house has to be perfect and that, um, and that our food has to be perfect. Most people will enjoy the experience more than the food and what the house looked like, right? Anything else? So she's trying to be kind to people who eat differently. That I'm have to re redo that. Uh huh. How about using a napkin? Would that be a good thing? Okay. Wait for the hostess to sit down. Yes, actually, 
I've been always taught that when somebody is serving you the dessert, that you wait until the hostess is, is done, and then she sits down. And I have watched people sit there and eat their dessert before she even got seated. And so she sat there by herself with me. So, yeah, so those are important things. Being respectful, kind, social skills. Do these things impact people? Absolutely. We want to influence people for the gospel. Very important. One time my um, parents went out to pizza with my brother and I, and it was in those days when those women wore those cotton taffeta skirts that were really wide. And um, my brother was really messy with the spaghetti, and he thought he had the napkin, but he had my mother's dress. And I think he probably put half of the tomato sauce that we had eaten on her dress. And when she got up to go, she had tomato sauce from one end to the other. And I remember how embarrassed she was to walk out of the restaurant. It was a very elegant restaurant. <laughs> but anyhow, he didn't do it on purpose. And it's been a good laugh for the last, last few years. So anyway. So here's what we said. Use your silverware. Isn't that a nice thing? Don't reach across. Compliment the food. Thank the hostess. Always important to thank. When we represent Christ, we need to think about our influence around people. And we need to act socially appropriate. Even when Jesus entered a house, he would wait for his feet to be bathed. He lived in Palestine, and it was dusty, and that was the culture. It was also a cleansing thing. But there were things that he could, he could do that were appropriate, socially appropriate, and it wouldn't offend God. So he would try to do what he could without offending their beliefs. Psalm 39.1. We need to be careful when we talk to people because let's read this. I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. Think that's an important thing to do? All right. Role model to your children, by the way. Children need to learn these things and it is something that is being left out. And if we are practicing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we're going to be having really good etiquette with people, right? Because it's not all about us, it's about them too. God can help us face our problems in a healthy manner. So I'm going to tell you, we're going to divert a little bit from social skills and go to some things that I couldn't get into the lectures earlier because I think these are very important. Many times when we are not being healthy, emotionally unintelligent, we will do cognitive distortions. What is another word for cognitive? Thinking. And distortions are things where we don't always believe the truth because we are not feeling comfortable with the truth, so we try to avoid it. And they can create not only anger, frustration, fear, but also lend to our depression and our sadness feelings. And so here's one. When we are coping dysfunctionally and somebody tells us something is wrong, many times we will do what? Denial. And an illustration is, I'm not doing anything wrong, only you are, right? I'm sidestepping. It's not, no, it's not me. It's, it's you. This is also about pride, don't you think? Pride. I don't want to admit that I have a problem. And what did we say in here several times this week? If we don't acknowledge a problem, we can't ask for forgiveness for it, right? And when somebody is defensive, which is something that 
men stereotypically do, defensive. The other person doesn't think they hear them, and they will continue to nag them until they get the point across. So denial is an issue. Okay, what's another cognitive distortion? What's another cognitive distortion? Blaming. It's only your fault. I told you that was stupid. You're the only one with the problem. It's an attitude like, I don't care what you're saying. I don't believe you. It's not a problem for me. And again, we don't take any ownership. Now, stereotypically, that is women who blame. And often they blame. They kind of like to hear themselves do a lecture. They aren't planning to get an answer back or an improvement. They just kind of do this, yang, 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 right? If I told you once, I told you a hundred times. And I mean, don't you have a brain in your head, you know? Like, yeah. I do that pretty good, don't I? You think I've heard it? Yeah. Think I've ever done it? Hmm. I'm not saying. Number three. Another issue that we could have is what? All right. I want to make sure you're there. Another issue we could be having is feeling sorry for yourself. I'm getting a raw deal. Nobody knows what I'm going through. You just don't know how hard my life is. If you understood, you'd say that I have a hard life too. This isn't fair. And what happens when we feel sorry for ourselves? Do we get healthier? We get sicker. We're unempowered. It's like there's, I'm a martyr. Everything has already happened. It's in the past. And no, the truth is that every day is a new day. I can choose what I'm going to do about it. And sometimes when I feel sorry for myself, I've given all the power to another person, and I'm their slave. Number four is what? Excuse making. If it wasn't for this reason, I wouldn't have done it. I wasn't late. You just, got, you just started before I got here, right? Again, we're defending ourselves, and yeah. And, and often, again, people will nag us because they don't think we get it. Number five, this is going from something big and making it act like it's not a, a big deal. You know, that's really not a big deal. It's called what? Minimizing. Sure, I did something wrong, but what's the big deal? You're making a mountain out of molehill. That really wasn't a problem. Everybody does it. Why should it be a big deal for me? In other words, I want to continue doing the wrong thing, and I'm not going to let you tell me something different. So what do you think is the basis of a lot of these things? Pride, self, mm-hmm. Remember how we talked about narcissism the other day? The opposite of what Mrs. White tells us that we need to do self-denial. And the Bible talks about humility. And it talks about an, don't be arrogant. tells us not to be in a haughty attitude. And so symptoms of pride. Let's read symptoms of pride. A person who has pride, what? Wants to feel important, craves attention. Are you with me? Wants applause and approval, opinionated, argumentative, won't acknowledge faults, is overly sensitive. If you have any of these issues, you're dealing with some pride issues, right? And remember that pride can stop us from attaining what God wants for our life. These are um, some of the things. Uh, this came from a book by William Bacchus called What Your Counselor Never Told You. William Bacchus, What Your Counselor Never Told You. There's more that he lists. Symptoms of pride are also being what? Critical, 
controlling, wants to be right, wants own way, not open to advice, demanding, refuses to cooperate, egotistical. Well, that certainly describes some of us, doesn't it? We have to struggle every day, don't we, with personal life because we have been human and we really need God cleaning us up. Here is another thing that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And I'd like to hear all of you saying this. Would that be okay? These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Can you see it? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to run to evil, speaking lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. I, 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 I kind of hid some of those things because I want to make sure that you got those points. So the first one was a proud look, right? Have you ever seen somebody who goes, right, right. Have you seen that? That arrogant, like I'm better than you. And feet that are swift to run to, to evil. What part of their brain would be, they be working on when they do that? The amygdala. You are there. I'm so thankful. Haughty eyes is another thing that it says. Being impulsive. Again. Here's some more. Another problem with cognitive distortions is black and white thinking extremes. That is that whether it's, it's not a standard, it's not a principle, but I have all these rules. You must do this. You can't do this. You have to do this. And that is not true. Or I never get any credit. You always get what you want. You use those words that are also um, exaggerating and making people feel distressed. And Romans 6, 7 to 12, well, there's a whole bunch of things in there, but I'm only going to do this one, and that is those in Christ will not continue in sin because every day we're to do what? Die to self. Here's another one, catastrophizing. This is where you make something bigger out of nothing. Did you ever hear somebody saying they're pure drama, right? They really make things big. They make it all, all about them. And they say, if you make me get help, then we'll go broke for sure. I knew you'd, you'd screw this all up. Like, they make it bigger. Anybody remember the story of Chicken Little? And Chicken Little was walking through the town one day. It's a fairy tale, but a good illustration of catastrophizing. And a pine cone hit Chicken Little. So he told everybody that he looked up in the sky, and he said, the sky is falling. So he told the whole village, and they all took cover, and they waited and waited, and Nothing happened, and then they got out of their hiding place, and a pine cone hit him on the head again. He said, wow. And they said, could it have been a pine cone after all that time? We have to admit that we have a problem. And then I also want to let you know that sometimes when it comes to emotional intelligence, um, especially if you listen to um, Vicki Griffin and to... Um, Pastor, I'm sorry, Dr. Nedley, he says that we need fresh air, sleep, light, and water, and that also helps us with emotional intelligence. Just because we feel better, we function better. Happy people focus on what they have, and unhappy people focus on what's missing. Would that make sense to you? I went to a seminar in Albuquerque on emotional intelligence, and this man got up in the audience. And he was listening to this, and I was, 
it was very interesting. He got up and he said, you know, I want you to know that my wife is low emotional intelligence. She's got all these symptoms. And he said, and I'm really unhappy. I don't know how I can take this. I got the feeling that he wanted the doctor to tell him, yes, you can get a divorce because, you know, you guys don't match or whatever. And um, she said, so who chose your wife? Well, he said, well, I did. And she said, well, could it be that you um, have emo low emotional intelligence? Oh, no, I don't. She said, she said, well, maybe you don't have as low emotional intelligence as you did because usually people with low emotional intelligence match the people that they choose to live with. And did anyone put a gun to your head when you chose your wife? Oh, well, no, not that. And she said, well, that's interesting. She said, well, just you know, the way you're complaining makes me think you have a few more areas to work on. And then she said, um, and you know that many times people will get better when they're around somebody who's healthier. So why don't you just be more stable and work really hard and decide not to have an attitude and nag her and say some things. And when you act stable, maybe she'll get a little better and things will be better for the both of you. And he went, oh, thank you. All right. Now, I did this last year, but I would like um, 10 people to come up front. Would you do that? You don't have to do anything scary. Can I get 10 people to come up? Okay. I just need you to hold up a sign. And I'd like you to stand right here. Right here? Yep. Okay. And you're going to hold that sign up so that people can see it. You can see what's on the back there. I just think it's very important that we understand these things. Okay. I could use... I think that's good enough. Okay. Sure, I could use you. I can. I like to use people. There you go. There you go. You're gonna. You're just gonna sign. Hold up the sign so they can see that. The written, the written sign. Yes, but only when I tell you. So keep it down now. They have core thoughts that go along with scriptures. You know, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or. Because I trust God completely, no need to worry, or God is my highest priority. So make sure you have the typed one on the front so they can see it best. All right, so I would like you, um, you, you people, I was thinking you ladies, but ladies and man, let's say that your RV gets a flat tire on your way home from camp meeting. Is there anything that you can use right now so that you can cope with this better? Okay, so why don't you put that one up? Yep. Uh, wait, wait. I will always choose. No, that's not that one. I'm talking about her. And so what does yours say? I choose to be calm and peaceful. Do you think that that would be a good thing when you when you got an RV problem? Okay. Uh, how about this one? God will meet all of my needs abundantly. Can you show it to the last people there? Okay. Well, you think those would work? Is there any others up there that you see? Okay, let's see that. Okay, you can put those down. You find out that your, your, your son has a child by his old girlfriend. You have any ones that you could work on? Because I trust God completely, no need to worry, what else? I will always choose to forgive since God forgave. Are these things? We need to have a plan about how we're going to think before we have the problem happen. I always choose to forgive. Anybody else that goes? Okay. All right, let's put it down. You weren't invited to a family wedding, so you feel very, very hurt. So, I, okay, put that one up. I choose to be content and stable. 
God loves me unconditionally, so you know what? It doesn't always matter about my friends and how they acted, whatever. Keep them up. Anything else? God is my highest priority. Because I can trust God completely, no need to worry. Okay, God loves me unconditionally. All right, put it down. A church member brags that they were able to skip taxes by cheating. I'm putting down things that I've heard that I choose to be content and stable. Is that, that could give you some misery, right? Anything else? God will meet all my needs abundantly. Put that up so they can see that. Make sure that everybody sees it over here. Okay. Um, the cashier overcharged you on something that was supposed to be on sale. Because I can trust God completely, no need to worry. Have you seen people get pretty upset over that? Have you been behind them when that happens? I choose to be calm and peaceful. Isn't that important? Okay, how about you got passed over at work for a job that you thought that you deserved? How, what do you think? Are they doing pretty good? Or do you think there's more that they should be putting up? Okay, I will not fear. That's a good one. So that... What I'm trying to say is that we need to have these things ready in our mind because we are going to have problems. There's nothing worse than waiting to the crisis. We need to have it ready. Don't you believe that Job was ready before God brought a crisis? He knew what he was going to do, and that was to stand firm to God. So, okay, you can just put them on the front pew, and thank you for your help. I appreciate it. What does it say here? I'd like you to read it. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is that true? We should do that? All right. Let's read this one. When trials arise that seem unexplainable, you should not allow your peace to be spoiled. However unjustly we may be treated, let not passion arise. Passion is your amygdala, right? Which, by the way, I had, I had to frontal lobe an amygdala that was going to help, but we're going to get through to the last minute, and I guess I'm going to skip over you. I'm so sorry, my actors, that we're going to be so... Okay, come up here for one minute. One minute. Okay, come on up here. We've got Kendra and, and um, John. Um, Christ Object Lessons 171.3. Okay, so here's the, here's the concern. Oh, by the way, here's some books that are really good that I think that everybody should be reading because these are more about what we've been studying this week. All right, so this is amygdala, and this is frontal lobe. And there's the microphone. So amygdala, I had an issue here with you. Let's see. Oh, Amygdala discovered that she has ants in her RV. Did anybody hear about my ants last year? Yeah. So she's going to come complain to the office about those ants that her RV is sitting on. So, okay, go ahead, Amygdala. Let's hear it. There are ants in my RV. I thought you people took care of those things like that before we got here. I shouldn't have to deal with that. I have classes to go to, and, and I need how to learn how to be like Jesus, so how am I supposed to deal with these hands? I know, and we should, have got, we should have gone out there and killed every one of them. I agree. Okay, well, thank you. But you have ants in your RV. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. This is frontal lobe, by the way. 
we're going to wait. The ants will clean up some of the crumbs that the kids left. And I believe that we, you know, Monday's coming. We can get an exterminator. This is not a crisis. Wow. Did you hear that? So he's, he's being calm, etc., And she's being a little bit hyper, right? All right. And that's because we told her to. So, okay. Someone sends you a snotty email. Ooh, I got one of those. I should read it to you. You should hear what that one said. And I guess you got quite a snotty one, too. What did you have to say about that, Miss Amygdala? Who do they think they, who does she think she is? She can't talk to me like that. She's no better than I am. What did I ever do to her? Wow. I heard John, the frontal lobe, also got the same email. Well, I believe that uh, we're going to take time. We're going to pray on it. You know, when you read an email, it's hard to put tone, timber, and pitch into that. So I think a day or two we'll let things settle down, and then we'll give a good quality response. Who, who would you want to be your um, pilot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you seen it when they go down on the airplane? They go, mayday, mayday, mayday. <laughs> I'm just like, mayday! No. Okay. Okay, you were asked to speak up front, and you never did that before. How do you feel, Miss Amygdala? What do they want from me? I don't, I'm not responsible to these people. Somebody else could do it. Why do I have to do it? It's not my job. Okay, and what would the frontal lobe say when they, they're asked to speak up front and they never did it before? Well, it appears that somebody must want to hear what I have to say. I'm not sure just why, but I think we'll pray about it and do a good job. They did a good job, didn't they? Amigdala, thank you very much. You guys did a great job. I'm glad we included you. All right. Oh, there's so Okay, now you can't walk out, right? So let's see how you feel about this. Are you ready? It's the grand finale. A woman was waiting in the airport one night within, with several hours before her flight. She hunted for her book in the airport shop. She bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book and happened to see that the man right beside her, as bold as could be, took a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore and avoid a scene. She read, she munched cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered, what will he do? But with a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and he broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and she thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also so rude, he didn't even show any gratitude. She would never knew when he, she'd been so appalled and she sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and she headed to the gate Refusing to look back at that thieving ingrate, she boarded the plane and she sat down in her seat. Then she saw her book, which she thought she'd read complete. As she reached in her bag, she got a real surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. <laughs> oh, mine are here, she moaned in despair. 
Then the others were his, and he had tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. So where were you when I was telling this? Were you getting your amygdalas going? Were you feeling angry? You know, that's because anything can trigger us, can't it? And we recognize that we need God on our side all the time, don't we? Don't forget God. He's the one who wants to help you with the way you're thinking. Getting close to him will help you to help your character grow, and he will move you forward. And I don't think we have time to sing Amazing Grace, but maybe you can hum it as you leave. God has given us tools of self-control. It's up to us whether we're going to use them or not. And we can change every negative emotion when we think about it in an intelligent way with the brain that God gave us. And I wish all of you to have happy emotions, and I hope that you master them and keep working on them. And thank you for coming to my session. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Father, we just thank you that you love us, you take care of us, that you're so kind to us, that you want so much better for our lives. Please improve our relationships, the way we talk, the way we think. We know that you give us little things so that we can be tested and we want to be found successful in your eyes because we're depending on you. I pray for each person here. I thank you very much that they are worthy of your love and that someday we'll go to heaven and we won't even have to work on these things. We will all be in a perfect environment enjoying each other's company. And I pray, Lord, that we will be ready for the Sabbath soon. In your holy name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.